You're listening to Daughter Father Dance Podcast. Hi, Daddy. I approve. That's not proof to me they exist. That's just proof that you believe they exist. Prayer, first of all, it's easy. Secondly, it's effective. The God you love so much made me this way. Hey, hey, listen. That's well, my point. What I'm, you believe. I know, but okay, so what I'm saying is... Amen. Oh, gosh. Hey everybody, welcome to our debut show. This is our inaugural episode that will convey to you the foundation from which my dad and I have both come. Now, you'll receive a lot of information from the foundation from which I was formed because you have the luxury of getting to know my father through this podcast. But I wanted today to give you a little bit of background on him, a story that isn't always professed out in the world but one that helps you better understand who he is. Before we begin, I'd like to make a shout out to our Jewish listeners and all my Jewish friends, as today is one of their holiest days of the year, Yom Kippur. This Catholic kid honors and acknowledges you on this day of fasting and atonement. As I reflected on this day in my meditation this morning, what came forward was a desire that we all experience and extend forgiveness in our lives. Forgiveness for others, and for ourselves. I mean, if God can forgive every single Israelite, can't we forgive just one person? Anyway, a blessed Yom Kippur to all. What a perfect day to begin this podcast. Now, let's meet my dad. Oh, my name is McNamara. I'm the leader of the band. My dad doesn't naturally sing nor speak in an Irish brogue, but he does often find a reason to take on the accent of his motherland. Before he and my mom traveled to Ireland to celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary and renew their wedding vows in County Kerry, where mom's family originated, dad studied Gaelic by way of cassette tapes that he would play and respond to in an Irish brogue. I think my mother has since hidden those tapes. For obvious reasons. It's important to note that Dad is a proud Irishman, just about as proud as he is to be a Roman Catholic. Most, if not all, of Dad's idiosyncrasies stem from these two identities. This will become apparent to you the longer you accompany us on this journey. Now, the reason this episode title is relevant isn't due to my dad having any horrible character flaws or demerits in his fathering skills. It's about the environment in which he grew up and the fact that he had no father present in his life from which he could learn the best ways to be one. Though my grandmother did the very best she could, the only option she felt she had for my dad's care as a little infant was to place him in an orphanage when my grandfather decided to leave their marriage and start a life with another woman. My grandmother was so financially strapped that she only had the means and the limited time to raise one child, my aunt. So she made the difficult choice of giving up her infant son to the care of the Catholic nuns. The reason this is worthy of mention isn't for sympathy for my dad. He'd actually hate that. It's to set the foundation for the man you will come to know better soon. He's a paradox of simple and complex. This dichotomy has served him and our family well, and you'll see why in later episodes. I don't have to list all the characteristics of my dad here. That's for you to experience along the path of this journey. But I do want to highlight his earliest life, the foundation from which he was formed, because 
it matters to this conversation about division. When this fateful decision was made, my dad was placed as an infant into St. Anthony's Orphanage and raised by the nuns. At age three, dad was transferred to St. Pius X home for boys. He stayed there until he was about 10 and a half years old when he was able to go home and live with my grandmother and my aunt. Anyone who knows Kansas City, Missouri knows St. Aloysius Grade School and De La Salle High School, both of which my father attended once he was home from his early years in the orphanage. It's an interesting story and one that I hope to expound on at another time. The reason it's important is because of the way my dad frames the way he was raised, the decisions my grandmother made, the decisions my grandfather made. And it's a beautiful reflection of how what you see, the way you perceive things, is actually dictating your world. We're here just to uh, reminisce on the location. Well, and because of- it's the only thing, literally the only thing left, like the two flanking walls of what, would that be east and west, are the only two things left? Correct. The east, the, we're looking at the west wall now, and we haven't been to the east side yet, but that that was the wall that went around the outer perimeter of the orphanage. So, Dad, did, were you ever outside of that wall, or did you feel like, was it sort of like an encampment where you couldn't get out of the wall, or...? I was only outside the wall when my mother picked me up on Saturday morning to take me home with her and then brought back Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. Did you ever jump it and, like, get away or do it? Well, escape? what I remember, this wall on the north end of it is where the ball, where we could play ball. It wasn't a ball diamond or a ball field. It was just grounds where we could set up some bases and then play baseball and the neighborhood boys used to come and climb over the wall and play with us guys that were in the orphanage. As you're hearing, this past winter, Dad and I spent some time on the grounds that used to be the boys' home. So you learned to ride a bike here. Yeah, Mickey Johnson helped me learn how to ride a bike. And they had, uh, being as they had a swimming pool, uh, that's where I learned how to swim. Mm-hmm. And that's where Mickey uh, taught me how to pull the tar out between the seams and the concrete around the swimming pool and just put it in your mouth and chew it like gum. Seriously? Really? <laughs> Did You didn't swallow it. You just chewed oh, no, it like gum. Oh, no, we just gum. chewed it like gum. Oh, my gum. God. I've and never heard that, heard that in my life. Also, I recall close to this wall... Uh, picking pickle leaves or something. Like milk. They actually were sour when you chewed on them. Ooh, we did that as kids. We had them in our backyard. Yeah, Yeah. I had that as a child in the home. So were they literally snacks that you guys ate? Like, did you look forward to finding them? Who knows? Just something we did. (laughs) Yeah, see that? This trip down memory lane with my dad was admittedly fun and informative, but it kind of broke my heart at the same time. All I could imagine is this little boy who had been abandoned and displaced. Not to mention he was surrounded by other young boys who had to have had feelings about that abandonment. But the way I'm seeing this is very, very different than the way my dad saw his upbringing, his childhood, his years in an orphanage. 
I mean, it was a big place. It sure is. So how many boys were in the home with you? Oh, I don't know. Uh, if I would guess how many of us were in a dormitory, probably 12 to 18 of us in the dormitory. And the dormitory was like a hall, a full hall? No, that's where you slept. I know, but how big was it? Like, it was it as big as our house or? Enough small? to put enough uh, beds in it for the number of the boys that were there. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that means there are 20 boys to a dormitory or 200, but let's just suffice it to say that this is a little bit of foreshadowing in the ways in which my dad and my conversations can go a little sideways, depending on how I'm feeling or he's feeling that day. In other words, depending on if we let it. Now, we're gonna switch gears. It's only fair that you get a glimpse not only into my dad's foundational upbringing, but into mine as well. This will also allow you an opportunity to see my bossy firstborn side. Yeah, it's there. It's covert in most cases, but it's definitely there. And it's another reason that conversations with my dad can get a little bit sticky because I'm stubborn and I see it my way and I don't always wanna see it his. As I contemplated what to include here, Besides the fact that I grew up in one of the most loving homes where we were reminded that we were loved and that we could do or become anything we put our mind and effort to, or that relying on God, counting on God really, wasn't something we had to struggle to wrap our brains around. It was a given, evidential in my parents' lives, the lives of their friends and our friends around us, an irrefutable truth really. More on that later. For now, I've landed on this little nugget as an example of the ways I believe my childhood set the stage for me to form my life perspectives. For as long as I can remember, I wanted to be the first female priest. I would pay nightly visits to the Blessed Sacrament with my dad, which basically meant that after dinner, we would drive to church. My mom being the director of religious education and all meant we had the keys. Dad would kneel and pray the rosary before the tabernacle for some intention or for someone who needed his prayers. I would play on the altar, acting out the different stages of mass as the priest. These altar theatrics were fortified at home by playing mass with my little sister ad nauseum. Every month, mom would bring home a missalette, a missalette being a booklet that outlined each week's readings, the Gospels, and every response one would say during the Mass. It's like a cliff notes for people who somehow weren't able to memorize the exact same prayers we would say every week for our entire lives. I personally loved when a new one of these would enter the house. It meant I had four Sunday Masses and a plethora of weekly Masses to recite with my little sister, who would begrudgingly play the part of multiple parishioners during our pretend mass. We went through the entire mass from singing the opening hymn to her reading the readings, me giving a homily, all the way to me proceeding down our make-believe aisle at the closing song. She hated it and I was in heaven. Before I would beckon Julie to play mass with me, I would make all the arrangements. Most importantly, I would take a slice of bread and a pint glass to the kitchen counter where I would press the pint glass into the middle of the bread slice, rotating it back and forth so that a perfectly formed circular host would suddenly appear. 
which I would gently set aside into a linen napkin that I would later use as an altar cloth. Then I would pick apart the remaining bread and bread crust that I soon would be using as individual hosts for our communion procession, which was basically Julie playing the part of multiple mass attendees receiving Holy Communion. Body of Christ. Amen. After the host was placed on her tongue, Julie would have to walk all the way to the end of the hallway and proceed back to me while I pretended to offer communion to the other make-believe people in line for the Eucharist. My sister hated this entire mass replication. But for some reason, she would do it for me after I pleaded the fact that, that I had to practice for that some day that I would become the first female priest. So for all of you who know me and grew up with me as a kid, you know that you couldn't call my house without my dad answering and saying, God bless you, Arthur residents. Nor could you leave a message on a recorder without the outgoing message being the exact same thing. Now, this may sound like a trivial thing, but what's important to note is the intention behind why my father did it. This is an example, a small one, albeit, of the way in which my dad lived every decision he made. It was thoughtful, had meaning, and was usually for the good of someone else. God bless you, Arthur residents. That started out because of a Franciscan priest on a weekend retreat said the best thing you could wish anybody is that God bless them. So with that in mind, I thought, why don't I do that to anybody who wants to talk to me? And the best way I could do that was to say, God bless you, Arthur residents. So that was literally our voice recording my entire childhood on our landline was, God bless you, Arthur residents. Or you would do that when people would physically call. Like that's how you answered the phone. Where most of us say hi or hello, Yours was, God bless you. And I have to tell you that my boyfriends back that in the day, it would terrify them. That that's how you answered the phone. <laughs> but it was also very endearing to most other people. Well, when you said terrifying, that brought up something else to think about. A priest friend of mine said that before he answered the telephone, he would make the sign of the cross. And that would prepare him for whatever he may receive on the other side of the receiver. And I kept that in mind, thinking, how can I prepare myself for whatever may be coming at the end of that ring and also be a source of a blessing for the person on the other end? That's beautiful, Dad. This is that piece I was trying to convey earlier when I mentioned simple but complex. I think I'd like to change it to far-reaching. My dad, well, he's unlike anyone I've ever met. His effect on most people is profound. I've watched this man sit at someone's bedside as they die and bring them for the first time comfort, just from his words, just from his presence. And it's not always about God, although pretty much of his life is. He just has an integrity and a gentle confidence 
and he has faith, also unlike anyone I've ever met. Can he piss me off? <laughs> yes, no one pushes my buttons like my dad. But even when I don't agree with him, even when he fights and I have a seething, just as equally strong fight in me, somehow what he shares, it makes a difference. And sometimes I learn things about myself, about the world, about things that until I speak with him, I don't understand. And I'm better for it. Part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation and share it with you is because I think the world could be better from a little time with my dad. My mother never told me a thing about my father. Like that she never was negative. About him. Yeah. So far as having uh, things about, well, God, I got shortchanged. I didn't have a dad. I never, that was never, I never thought about that. Mm. My dad could have been a bitter asshole or worse, an angry man, resentful from being robbed of a father and tossed aside. But he saw it differently. He saw his life in the orphanage as a blessing and something special. He also saw the decision my grandmother made to put him there from her perspective. Instead of being angry, he understood because he wasn't just looking at his life from some fixed, unbending, I'm right, you're wrong, how dare you perspective. I can't claim to know whether my dad's compassion or forgiving nature is something innate in him or something he's learned over time. What I can tell you is that there's no one from whom I learn how to be a better human than him. Well, I take that back. There's definitely my mom, but that's for another day. Now, I can pretty much guarantee that at some point, my dad or I will ruffle your feathers so much that you will want to stop listening to this podcast. I beg you to hang in there with us. I think you'll be glad you did. Thank you so much for being here. Join us next week when we dive into the conversations from and for which this podcast was created. And there's no better place to start than discussing that wonderful elephant in the room. See you next week.